The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good night. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. Good morning. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Joining me this morning are Kristen and Sarah Ellis Henderson. Kristen and Sarah are the married lesbian couple kissing on the cover of Time Magazine's Gay Marriage Already Won, April 8, 2013 issue. Sarah, Executive Vice President of Real Simple Magazine, and Kristen, founding member of the all-female band Antigone Rising, are also co-authors of Times Two, Two Women in Love and the Happy Family They Made. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning, Kristen and Sarah. Hi. It's great to have you. It's great to be here. <laughs> well, well good. Uh, Kristen, you say it's yours and Sarah's mission to make yourselves available for the front lines until the equality battle is won on a national level. So my question is, what's it like to have become the spokesfamily for the marriage equality debate um, after making the decision to do such a provocative cover that I just mentioned on Time magazine? <laughs> I mean, for us, uh, it's an honor you know, and a privilege, and it just feels like something that I think anyone would do if they felt like they were being deprived of their equal rights. I mean, there comes a point in time where you just look around and say, how does this make any sense? You know, we uh, are paying the same taxes and, and you know, are here in this country, loving our country, born here, raised here, you know, and how is it even possible that we're being marginalized? So whatever we need to do without getting into harm's way too badly, we're, we're up for the cause. We've <laughs> so got you're... kids, you know. You're up for the cause, and that's understandable. I mean, what you said, you're law-abiding citizens. Why shouldn't you have the same rights and privileges, obviously, for you and your family? Um, Sarah, how do you feel? What's your response? I mean, I I agree with Kristen, too. I mean, I think that, you know, in in this day and age, it's really important, I think, also for our children to stand up and show them to stand up for what you believe in is really um a life lesson that you can only teach them by doing as opposed to saying. So I think that's a really important part of why we do it as well. So as I understand it, you're talking about the children. So this is, uh, you know, this is obviously you have been together for a long time. You were together before you got married. So uh, let's take it back a little bit because I, um, when did you first meet? How did you meet? Um, well, this is Sarah. We had known each other and ran in um, sort of the same social circles for quite a some time, um, and then, but we didn't really get along. I mean, we liked each other enough to say hi, but we, you know, Kristen thought I was a little loud. I thought she was a little not cool. And then, <laughs> <laughs> you know, fast forward, I guess like ten years later or something like that, where we were reconnected by a mutual um, really good friend at an event at a party, and um, and then it was it was like we had never known each other before, and it was love at first sight. Um, but we have been together for eight years. 
we've only been married. We, we're married a year and a half because we were married once it was legal. So our children are four years old. We have twin four-year-olds. Yeah, well, I want to talk about that because the story is, uh, it will obviously, you, this is in your book, two, Times Two, Two Women in Love and the Happy Family They Made. Great book, but... Um, and as a social worker, obviously, I'm really interested in the personal side of your story besides the political, and we're going to do, talk about both. But um, in your book, Times Two, Two Women in Love and the Happy Family They Made, um, you wrote that book the first year when, or, the, or the second year after you had the, had, the, had the kids? or Yeah, we wrote it the first year, so it was right after they were born. But you yeah. had, let's talk about your story about getting pregnant, first of all, you know, two women trying to get pregnant and ultimately getting pregnant together, because that fascinated me. Um, and I think one of the things you said in the beginning of the book was, you know, here you are, two women together having a baby, so you understand each other and you understand the process and how you're feeling, which was not my experience with a man. So, right. yeah, well, let's talk about that, yeah. Sarah, you want to take that Kristen? one? Sure. Sarah, okay, Sarah. Sarah. Um, I, I should say Sarah or Kristen, so you don't have to decide, yeah. Um, I think, you know, while how we ended up there was um, a lot by accident. I was trying to get pregnant for a while um, and running into all sorts of issues along the way. And we well, I think had, we should clarify. I don't think Catherine even said we were both pregnant at the same time. Did you say that? I, I did. I think I okay. said that. Didn't Sorry. I? I, I wasn't but, sure if you did or not. Yeah, I think you were saying it was just relatable, you know, being a woman and oh, having we, a pregnant partner. But we were both pregnant at the same time. Okay. Yeah. Sorry if I missed that. So um, ahead, Sarah, sorry. <laughs> anyway, this is Sarah. Um, we, you know, I so it was taking me quite a lot longer than we had anticipated, and I had put together in my head being sort of the control freak that I am, the timeline of how this was all going to play out. I would get pregnant. Kristen was on tour, touring her new record, and then when she got off tour, we'd have a bouncing little baby, and then she would be ready to start getting pregnant, too, and then we'd have, you know, somewhat Irish twins, if you will, Um, and it didn't go, um, I wrote the playbook, but it didn't go that way at all, Um, and what happened was I had miscarriages, and it was complicated, and it took a while, and it wasn't happening, and Kristen released the album, went on tour, came back from tour, and was still no um, baby. And at that time, we decided, let's we're going for a baby here, and we wanted to start our family. So being that we had two able bodies, let's both try, and whoever gets pregnant, the other will stop, and we'll have a baby. Um, and what all the stars so aligned. How did you how did you both decide on who the sperm donor was going to be? Oh, you want to go back that far? Oh, yes. I want the whole story. <laughs> um, I'll let Kristen take that one. Um, well, I, this is Kristen speaking. I was in charge of finding the donor. I think in large part because Sarah was the one who was trying to get pregnant initially. So my job was to sort of investigate and research finding a donor. And we had made the decision to go with an anonymous donor through a sperm bank. Um, we did explore the option of maybe using a friend um, there were a couple of very good friends that we considered, but um, sort of in the preliminary interviewing process, without even realizing they were being interviewed, certain things they said triggered in us the, uh, you know, the instinct to not go with someone we knew. It was you could see it was just going to get a little too complicated. Um, and what are the of, complications? Because you know, I'm a social worker, and I, I I'm, I'm with. Uh, 
I do couples counseling, those kinds of things, gay and straight couples. And so those are some of the issues that I'm interested in. You know, why right. not have, Absolutely. Uh, and some do make a choice to have a, you know, a friend, a good friend to be the sperm donor, others not. Why wouldn't you? you we don't have to go into every detail. But you know what? I think that it depends on the person who you're going with. Um, one that we are considering was one of my best male friends from college. And I think there were just blurred lines as far as um, how involved his family would be in the upbringing, how involved he personally would be in the upbringing. I don't think he was going to be able to detach in a way that would allow us to feel like we were our own family. It was like somehow he would still be involved in a way that, you know, it would be one thing to acknowledge and be um, upfront with the fact that he was the um, donor father. But um, I just got the impression right away that he would have he wouldn't have been able to handle uh, that boundary, if you will. Yeah, a boundary. So there are boundaries. Yeah. It's not just your sperm donor friend, but it's grandma and grandpa and brothers right. and sisters, I, and it's a whole other. Okay, so yeah, anonymous. he made some mention of some things about how his mother would be involved, and uh-huh. you know <laughs> how many mother, how many nanas and grandmas. You mm. know, they c- can be a lot. You know, <laughs> they're pretty hands-on <laughs> people with so. two. So, thank you, you very know, much, but no thank you, right? Yeah, we just thought it might be a little too complicated because yeah. we want we wanted as traditional a family as possible, to be quite honest. And yeah. and so to involve too many people, you know, he could still be an uncle in a way, you know, a good friend of his of, you know, ours, but we didn't want him involved as much as he felt like he wanted to be. So that was gonna be a complication. We also at one point considered asking um relatives, you know, like either my brother for Sarah or cousins you know, male cousins, and again, it just felt like it was just going to get a little too confusing. Though I do know, and there, are, we know a lot of families who have used those um, options, and I think it's great if you can figure out how to make that work. But well, it depends end, on your own family. You're a unique family. Your relationships are different with each one of your own family. So you really have to explore that, I guess. Well, what there's you're a saying. lot of moving parts, right? If yeah. you go with my brother, you know, he's got a wife who has, you know was raised a certain way and might not see how that makes sense for her or her family. I mean, there's so many people involved. You just can go on and on between, you know. And why complicate things when you can just go with an anonymous donor who, you know, at 18, we chose, though, that at 18 our children will be able to contact the donor. And you do have that option when you are um, using a donor. So you can go with a what they call a yes donor or a no donor, and a no donor is someone who does not ever want to be contacted. Uh, and then a yes donor is when the children reach the age of 18, they are allowed to reach out and contact the donor. So we want and to give... I'm sorry, go ahead, Catherine. Yeah, I was going to say, what are the pros and cons to that? Because I could understand... I mean, there are, you know, if you choose somebody who your your kids can meet at age 18, right. or they have the opportunity to meet their sperm donor, biological dad, that can complicate things as well, can't it? I mean, in terms of now I mean, you're... I, I think in Hollywood, right, what was that movie? It certainly did complicate things. Yes, are I, all right. I can't remember right. the title. <laughs> I think that certainly complicated things, but I think that for the kids, you know, I want them to have that option. I think that at some point they may have questions. They may want to know. Um, they may not, you know. Some, sometimes, you never know. But we wanted them to have the option to choose. But what if one of your kids, what if Kate wants to and Thomas doesn't? Yeah, very much like the movie. Yeah. Um well, Kate has the option to, and yeah. Thomas has the option not to. So I can't imagine one would do it without the other. Or, I mean, they're, they're so connected now at four. Um, 
But you know what? We'll see when we get there. I, I, we just thought that it was important to give them the option. I mean, what I, if they yeah. wanted to and they didn't even have the option? I wouldn't want that for them. I want them to know if they feel like they need to, you know, understand where they've come from. I also want to say this to Sarah that, you know, that gives us 18 years to more than establish our family, have our um, values and input um, hopefully firmly cemented with our children so that and and give them the roots that they need um, to feel like you know to have great self-esteem and and clarity around their lives so at that point I feel like they'll be adults and we can have an adult conversation around it as opposed to not ha- not having the option at all at least at that now they have the option and we have the option and we can coach them through it or work with them through it. And I think, you know, the one thing that, you know, in all of this is really important to Kristen and I is our families. We both have, both our parents um, are are still together and still a very huge part of our kids' lives. I mean, an everyday occurrence for our children and our brothers and sisters and their kids. So there's a big network um, and even our first cousins, our first cousins and their kids. So there's a huge network and a huge family that these kids rely heavily on that nurture them and help them grow. So, I, you know, it'll be, it, we'll see what happens when they're 18, but I think that they'll, they'll have a really, really strong foundation, or at least that's what we're striving for. So Sarah, you'll have a, they'll have a strong foundation, good feelings of self-esteem for themselves, so they'll make good choices. I mean, hopefully as parents, obviously that's what you want. Um, either Sarah or Kristen, I mean, you obviously are a loving family, responsible family, all, you have all of the, the accolades for, um, you know, a, a great family and support from your own families of origin and you would say cousins and uncles and all of that. But what would you say, um, what what are the differences, or are there any differences? Let's say in a family that has two moms. I was going to say two dads, but that's your two moms. So two moms as opposed to mom and dad. Are there any differences? I think at the thirty thousand level, this is Sarah. Sarah there okay. are no differences, but I do think if you scratch the surface, you know, we are very conscious. Um, because we do have a little boy and a little girl of having strong male role models within our lives um, that um, can help influence and shape the children as well. And I think that that's part of our responsibility. I think that's a responsibility for any family. If you're a single dad raising kids, you know, you want to make sure that your kids get the breath of strong, healthy role models. So I do think that we make a, a... a point of, without overdoing it, you know, um, of making sure that we have role models of all types. So the town that we live in, there are, it's important for us that our kids also see other families like theirs. So there are two other um, same-sex married couples that have children as well in our town. Um, and one of them is actually in Kristen's band, um, is the lead singer of Kristen's band, and she and her wife have a have a son and hopefully soon another one on the way. And so it's really important for them to see families that look like theirs. Um, and then I think it's important for them to see 
um, straight families, and I think it's important for them to see um, families that are being raised by maybe a grandparent or an uncle or an aunt. So I think that because we are a, a multifaceted um, community and country, it's important to see all types of families. Um, and I think that's important for the parents. It's, it's our job as their parents to make sure that's happening. Well, so diversity, we are a diverse, fortunately, country, and uh, we have the opportunities, as you say, you can live in a town and be very, very make a choice to make sure that the kids are involved with all different other kinds of families, including one that's like yourself. Do they ever, I mean, they're only four years old, um, and I, do we say this, they have the same sperm donor? donor. I don't think we mentioned that. Yeah, right. no, they have the same donor. So you refer to them as twins? We do, yeah. But they're, yeah, I carry Thomas, and Thomas is my egg, and Kate is Sarah's egg, so technically they're not really twins, but they were conceived on the exact same day, so, and they were born three weeks apart. So have Thomas or Kate, I mean, maybe they're a little bit young, have, do they ever come to you and, and ask you, for, um, you know, why do I have two moms, or are they not aware of that? No, it definitely comes up, um, and, but it's, it's not too, you know, they just are curious. Like, our family has two moms, their family has a dad. Like, oftentimes when they meet a new friend, they'll ask us, does Jackson have a dad and a mom? Or, you know, like, they try and get the, the lowdown on how that family is configured, you know. So there's curiosity. I don't know if, um, you know, they obviously don't go the step further and try and figure out how they got into mom's belly or anything like that. They're not there yet. So they will be. Um, they will be. We'll prepare ourselves for that one. <laughs> we are preparing for that one, but they're yeah. not there yet. Um, so yes, there's definitely curiosity. Um, they do see that obviously there's a higher preponderance of friends with dads, um, but they both seem to be rolling with that. You know, they don't ever ask why they don't have a dad. Um, Thomas did when he was really little. But he doesn't anymore. I mean, when he, like, he could barely speak, and he looked up at us one day. He might have been barely two years old, right, Sarah? Mm-hmm. And he was playing with the phone, just pretending he was talking into the phone. And I mean, he might have been 18 months old. And then he put the phone on his shoulder, and he looks up, and he looks at me, and he goes, where's the dad? And then he just went back to playing on the phone. <laughs> I looked well, at you've Sarah. got one smart son there, I will say. He's yeah. going to be asking a lot of where questions. I'm like, did he just say, where's the dad? Because I'm not ready for that one. <laughs> totally. And this is Sarah. We then dialed up all our same-sex friends, women couples. And um, we were like, have your, and most of them have boys. They all have boys. They all have boys. And we were like, have your kids asked? And, and their boys are older. They're, you know, they're, they range in age from 5 to 11. And not one of them has asked. They were like, Except wow, an 18-month-old. Right, even our friends with the 11-year-old boy were like, wow, <laughs> that came quick for you guys. We're still waiting to be asked. <laughs> yeah. Tom, well, that... I said, 18 months, where's the dad? I was like, wow. <laughs> As I said, you're gonna, he's going to have a lot more questions if he's asking oh, questions know. at 18 months old. But now what about the difference between, if there is any, uh, gay dads, two dads and two moms? Or do you have a lot of friends who are you know, we not. don't have many. Um, we do. Sarah's uh, has a colleague actually who he and his partner. Um, so 
So that's the one male couple that we know of with children that we spend time with. And we, you know, like we'll go to Provincetown in Massachusetts every summer during Family Week, which is a, it's a gay family week. So we'll meet two dad families there. And I love to be able to give them that experience so that they can see that there are families with two dads because I do think they're very, they are curious because oftentimes when it does come up and they'll say, does Jackson have a dad or does this one have a dad? And then what type of family do they have? And sometimes it's, you know, a, a, a divorced couple will say, well, they have their mom and their dad lives far away or whatever the case is. So they'll often ask about two dad families. And we don't see as many of those. We don't, I, I think that there's one, a couple that just moved to our town that I've been hearing about. So we need to meet them. And it's very funny. Our, we have friends who are trying to set us up with this male couple that live in a town next door. We're supposed to meet them this weekend. So we do want to give them that experience and have them, you know, see, uh, a two-dad family. I think that it's probably harder for two two men at this stage of our progress. You know what I mean? Oh, I, yeah. I, I was going to say, why would you think? It, why would you think? What? Do you well, think I think it's reason? much harder for two men to have a child than it is for women. I mean, just physically, for obvious reasons. Um, I think financially, it costs much more money for them. Um, they've got to go through the whether it's an adoption, and then they have to figure out how to adopt. Whether it, whether or not it's even legal for them to adopt in the state they're in, um, and then they may have to take it a step further and use a surrogate. So now they're paying for a surrogate plus an egg donor. You know that's a, a great expense. And, and so, don't you think also just in terms of attitude, uh, there is in our culture, in our culture anyway, yeah. Kristen or Sarah, that women inherently know how to take care of kids, and that not so much for men. I, I right. think that there is that, you know, I, I, I think that exists. I mean, I, I, I was standing in line getting on a plane once, and obviously it was two dads, and they had their, I think it was a little girl, and there was an older woman there who kind of forced herself upon them as if, well, there's no mother here, I'll help you do this for the, the, the baby, or she was right. And I, yeah, and I, I watched this whole thing getting played out, and I'm thinking, and they were not very, you know, pleased with her, and I don't right. blame them, but I, I don't think they would do that with two moms. That's you know. It is interesting that you say yeah. that. I mean, it's the one area in all of our society that there might be a little bit of a bias toward women. <laughs> yeah, I think there is. <laughs> well, I just want to say, this is Sarah, that, you know, What's happened in um, the LGBT movement in the past, even decade, is dramatic. And if you remember back, when gay men were looked at as not only sexually deviant, but also, you know, they were looked at as like predators. Um, I mean, they had such a bad rap, gay men. I mean, they were just so marginalized by society and so not accepted and every so I think that they've had a really really hard time you know in so many terms I think we've advanced dramatically and and now now even in straight couples you know men are taking because there's you know two income households men are taking on such a more caregiving role within the family so men are starting to combat that stereotype that they're, you know, all they are breadwinners or gay men are, you know, so so bad and marginalized. But I also think that if you look at even the books that we read to our kids, these young, you know, the little books uh, for the little kids, five and under, they're so mom-centric, right? So yeah. I know that my, my friends who are two dads have said that it's very hard to find books. Um, and Anything that is not so mom-centric. You know, if you, you have to change a diaper, the, the 
and you're out in a public area, the, the changing table is in um, the mom's so, room. Yeah, not it's in the women's room. room. Yeah, in, not in the men's room. Yeah. So it's, it, you know, I think that they come up against it at every turn, um, yeah. which I think is a big challenge. Um, yeah, but, and I, so I'm, I'm glad we brought this up because I do think there are different challenges for, for men, and you're right, and the, obviously the, the things that you just mentioned. I think the media, uh, either Kristen um, or Sarah, um, has, I think, helped in, in terms of going in a positive direction, like shows like Will and Grace, for instance, and, and there are others more current um, that have really kind of dispelled those myths, those horrific, uh, you know, myths about uh, men being uh, predators, gay men being predators. I mean, I think we have come a long way. Well, you know, uh, Catherine, this is Sarah, that the th- from the emergence of the gay LGBT movement, like after Stonewall, what was decided, it was a conscious decision around the gay movement that they wanted to increase visibility. And they were doing that through, and the, and the movement um, and the leaders within the movement were doing that through the media. So... That's why only in the past five years has everybody realized that the LGBT community has no, is not an equal, doesn't have equal rights because they did such an amazing move through visibility that everybody thought up until a few years ago that, oh, well, if you're, you have all the same rights, you can't get fired because you're gay. You can't, you can, you know, you can adopt a child even if you're gay because I think there were such strides made within media that they didn't, that we as a community didn't realize that our equal rights were actually not up to par with the visibility. Does that make sense? Yes, it, it does. does make sense. Yeah, and, yeah. So, and you brought up a topic that I want to discuss is adoption, that you have to, you know, put it, you, both of you being put in a position where you have to adopt your own children. That's right. Um, and I don't think people have any idea of, of that whole situation. So, right. yeah, let, let's talk about that. Yeah. So, yeah, the interesting thing about that is, if a married couple, a uh, heterosexual married couple, used a donor um, to conceive a child, the father or the paternal side of that relationship would not have to adopt the child for that child to be legally his. It would just be understood within that marriage that that child is a product of that marriage. But Sarah and I did have to go through um, an adoption process, um, and we still would even now, because when we had the kids, when we adopted the children, um, their marriage equality didn't exist in New York yet. So we were not legally married yet in New York. But even if we were legally married in New York, Sarah and I would still, as a homosexual couple, have to go through the process of adopting our non-biological child. So and that's different, the adoptive laws, and, and this gets back right. to you know, having to in have federal laws to protect families because... Uh, uh, it's That's different right. in each state. You're talking about New York, but it may be different in Iowa. That's exactly right. But even in New York, in order to protect our children in New York State, we would have to adopt for Thomas or Kate to be legally the other one's child. But you're right. Then if we traveled anywhere in the country where adoption laws, depending on their adoption laws and how they viewed it, say we were in a car accident or something horrible happened to one of us, the biological child of that parent could be in jeopardy and could end up being detained, if you will, and not able to leave that state. And there are there are states that you know recognize same sex adoption, and then there are states that don't recognize it at all. So, I just did you just hear that noise? Yeah, I sat on a toy. Sorry, in, I'm in Thomas's <laughs> room. <laughs> well, 
that's what mothers do, right? And then I sit on a car. Yeah. Uh, you know, the other thing is that, um, this is Sarah, that say you, I, I don't know if you said this, I, um, Kristen, but um, in Florida, you can't even adopt. That's right. So if we went to the state of, of Florida, if we lived there, if we went to Disney World, no, if we lived in Florida, even visiting, we would be in jeopardy. But yes, yes if even we lived visiting in as us. But if we lived in Florida and we had children in, a, in our relationship, I could not adopt who Kristen gave birth to. Because we're same-sex. Yeah, and let's talk about that specifically because that is a horrendous, horrendous situation that, I mean, let's say you did live in Florida and something happens to one of the kids or they have to go to the hospital or whatever it is and you're not the parent. That's right. It's unfathomable to me. Hearing you say and you're not the parent, that like actually strikes such a chord in my heart. It's like so, it's offensive. Yeah. It's horrific. horrifying. So many things. It's like you you see cases. It, it still happens to this day where you know um, family members take the child. You know, whereas like say something happened to Sarah, and now I retain Kate, and then Sarah's family comes back six months later, and you know, whereas you know here we all were a happy family six months earlier. Six months later, they're taking Kate. Not that this is happening in our family, but this happens in families. You know, where that are torn apart in these scenarios and you lose your own children mm-hmm. it's and it, i mean i'm sure there's way worse scenarios than even just that that play out um, all the time yeah i'm sure we've only touched on a few but so that's why it's so important i don't want to put words in your mouth right. but when you talk about having the mission to you know equality for all is, is a huge battle and that you both of you are not going to stop until there is marriage equality so let's Let's talk about DOMA because not everybody knows what that is either. Right. DOMA, the acronym, acronym. Well, it sounds like such a positive thing, doesn't it? Defense yes, it, of Marriage Act. Yes, it, it kind does. Of sounds, it's like this, like wolf in sheep's clothing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, what is yeah. the Defense of Marriage Act? So that's on the federal level, which means it's countrywide, and it basically says that the federal government doesn't recognize same-sex marriage, regardless of what your state. Uh, you know, how, whether it's legal or not in your state. So Sarah and I are legally married in New York, and quite honestly, it doesn't mean all that much on a federal level. We don't have any of the same rights that all of our heterosexual married friends have in the sense that from a tax standpoint, um, from, like, you know, estate planning, um, home ownership, all those things um, would come into question if one of us were to die or some, you know, so there's, there's like over a thousand laws that don't apply to us, even though we are legally married in the state of New York because of DOMA's existence. Um, and it's, it's kind of, it's kind of wild, you know, to yeah, think. It's, it, it's sort of, it really is wild. And even, you know, thinking about it, that we could, if this is the United States of America, that how we could have such a law, or I mean, right. it's it is it, it is kind of unfathomable. Right. Um, yeah, so it's really really important to make sure that these the protections are on a federal level, not state by state. And people should understand that I think that, that not just state not state by state. Yes, that's important, but right. it has. It to definitely be. is important state by state, and yes. and it's. Coming fast and furious, it feels like in the past month or so, you know, with New York. Once New York, you know, gave the nod, um, it does seem like it's coming 
quickly, state by state, but you're, but it's true. It, it, I don't want to say it means nothing because it means everything because without it, it's how this whole tidal wave is happening because it's yeah. state by state. And now it does, it feels inevitable to me, but you know, I live in a, we, Sarah and I do live in a little bit of a bubble. We're in New York. It's a, it's a fairly liberal place. You know, we live in a community that's very open to our family. We live in a community where we see other families like our family. Um, but, you know, you just have to step a few hours to the west, you know, and it's a very different um, climate, you know. Yeah, I, We're going to take a break. I want to talk about the climate because I think, you know, you obviously just touched on something, and the climate is different in New York than it is in Missouri or Mississippi or Right. Yeah, and I do think that that we are evolving, and in in the direction is good. We're going in the right direction. I think it needs to be faster, but at least it is a positive direction that we're going in. Um, we'll take a break right now. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. You're listening to the Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Um, uh, we'll be back in a minute. Um, don't go away. sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. Now there's a new destination for video content. VoiceAmerica.tv Just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus check out exclusive programming including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events and short features. High definition, premier quality programs available 24-7. VoiceAmerica.tv If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us support These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Want to know what's going on behind the scenes with your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network host? How about what's new with our network? Make sure you check out the iRadio blog, a look at what's hot at Voice America and beyond. Visit www.iradioblog.com today. Get the inside scoop on every channel on our network, including breaking news, featured guests, blog posts from our hosts, and much more. Make sure you sign up for our newsletter for even more inside action. Visit iradioblog.com today and stay connected. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. 
We're back. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone, and you're listening to the Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. If you're just joining me, uh, I'm talking to Kristen and uh, Sarah Ellison Henderson. They were the lesbian couple kissing on the cover of Time Magazine's Gay Marriage, already won April 8th, 2013 issue. Um, when, when Kristen and Sarah, before we took the break, uh, we started to talk about how the climate has changed for the LBGT community in a good way, in a positive way. So I want to get both of your, your feedback on that. Um, you know, not just in New York State, obviously, but, you know, across the country. We are moving in the right direction in terms of, of, well, laws, for instance, uh, equality, the battle for equality. Uh, Kristen, you first. Uh, you know, I was saying how if we just moved a couple hours to the west of where we are here in New York, how different the climate is. Um, and, you know, quite frankly, though, actually, even in New York State, I mean, even in New York City, in recent weeks, there's been an increased number of um, attacks on gay couples, which is kind of interesting, I think. Why do you think that is? Climate. You know, I think that with these big strides in equality, um, it brings out sort of the worst of us as well. You know, those people who are feeling like this isn't what they believe are coming out in support of their, whether or not they're in the majority or not. They can be dangerous people, you know, and they, so I, I, I believe that that's probably one reason. Um, so it pushes their buttons and then they get visibility, unfortunately, even if there right. isn't. Well, I, I think I think it's Sarah. it might be this is Sarah two pronged. Yeah. I think it's one is that um, there might be more media attention around those things. I think they're happening quite often. I think that um, we don't like to see those things happening. They scare us, um, and but I do think that they get more visibility when a cause is at the at the forefront of the media. But I also do think, as Kristen was saying, is that. It brings out, it scares people to see a movement happening. And um, some people, you know, retaliate in in a really um, negative way, neg- very negative way. I mean, some people have been really hurt lately. In, in New York City, um, two, there have been two incidences in the past two weeks. I think there's, now there's been a third I saw. Uh, yeah. So well, they are so galvanizing a march in New York City. And what would you do personally? Because you, both of you are in the forefront. You're doing things. You have visibility. Uh, people know who you are. Say that happens in New York City and, and, you know, people's, you know, prejudices and hatred come out. It's sort of like the same thing I think happens in the pro-choice movement. But, um, so what do you do? And what should we do? What should, what, what do we need to do? Those, those of us who want to do something. Right. You know what? Be aware. Awareness is the most important thing. Um, that it's even happening. Um, I do know for a fact that there is going to be a rally and a march tomorrow, May 16th, in the city. Um, I believe it's starting around Christopher Street by Stonewall. I saw that online. I think it was on Gay Marriage USA on Facebook. I saw that. I find that there's certain websites that, you know, I follow that keep me really informed, and they're just right on top of it. Gay Marriage USA is one of those sites on Facebook that is so informative um, and just keeps me up to date on everything that's going on in the LGBT movement. So, um, you know, well, give us a tell us up. another one. Gay Marriage USA, a couple others, that, that, because that's obviously everybody can just turn to, you know, go online. That's great. Well, I follow Gay Marriage USA specifically on Facebook. I also 
I believe it's Gay Marriage New York. There's a few of them on Facebook that are in my news feed, so I feel like I'm constantly getting updates. Um, Gay Marriage USA is really one of the best. Do you follow that one, Sarah? Yes, I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. Yeah. I email with him too. Um, so, which okay. let me ask you, Blake, personally, what would you say? I mean, if you want to share this, what's the worst situation that just more personally, that either one of you have had to face in terms of discrimination because you were a lesbian. What do you think, sir? Oh, I think I've blocked them. I know. I, <laughs> I, totally I can't even deal. No one, it's, yeah. like, it's that horrific to me. I feel like there was um, very early on uh, when we first had the kids, and uh, they were only, t- Thomas and Kate were probably just a few weeks old at that point. Thomas had an incident with his heart. Um, he had a little, he, he's outgrown it since, but it was a very serious incident when he was about eight weeks old, nine weeks old. And we called 911, and the ambulance came rushing to our house. I mean, we had medics everywhere. They hear the call for an eight-week-old, right? Yeah. So we had paramedics and everything everywhere. And there was a moment where that whole incident from start to finish was riddled with just odd, awkward moments where we were being sort of split because... Sarah hadn't adopted Thomas yet. He wasn't, she wasn't his mother. And whereas Sarah's instinct was obviously to jump in, the paramedics kept sort of pushing Sarah aside um, for me in favor of me. I was the one who rode in the ambulance. They weren't letting Sarah in the ambulance. We got to the hospital, the doctors, my brother, we, my family had been called, so everyone rushed to the hospital. So we were basically all coming in at the same time. I was already there at the ambulance, but Sarah was in a car behind so my brother was getting there at the same time. They assumed my brother was the father. You know, it was just like a series of odd moments for Sarah that I think I'm sure you've blocked out there. I'm certain yeah. of it. The doctors wouldn't speak to Sarah about Thomas's condition. They would only speak with me. So, you know, those things where I'm trying to bring Sarah in because I need my partner and Thomas's other parent in on making decisions and I'm being sort of taken aside to be, you know, to make these, you know, it was very, I had to keep incorporating Sarah back into the dialogue, and it was... When you are uh, incomplete, your, your, your son is in... Yeah. Yeah, uh, is the in worst crisis. Situation you need each other for lots of things besides making decisions, but emotional support, I mean, you can go down the whole list, right? They were, yeah, and, I mean, this is an emergency situation. They were making, they were doing, like, urgent... Um, things to Thomas in order to get his heart rate. His heart rate was racing, and they were trying to get it under control. So they were like, these are like, make the decision right now, yes or no, how do you want to handle this? And that lady should stand over there while we talk to you. I know you said that she's your partner, but what does that mean? Anyway, we need a decision from you. It doesn't matter what she says. So it was like that kind of stuff, you know. And that's in New York. That's here yeah, that's- on Long Island, you know. We're only about 40 minutes from New York City. And it's less than four years ago. That's right. Was, I mean, because yeah. Thomas is four, right? So that's it's right. It's about yeah. four years right this minute that this happened. All right. Well, that's what we're fighting for or against, right? I mean, that, I mean that that's a good example, uh, and it's, it's totally. And that's just from. I mean, I should only have to. I understand that you might be used to not used to seeing um, two women four years ago. And that, but but once I say to you, this is my partner. This is Thomas's other mother. You know that should just be the conversation needs to end there. Not 
one after the other, like, can somebody pass the memo around to everybody here? And then the nurse didn't understand, and then the other doctor didn't understand, and then they're assuming my brother is the father, and it's just like one thing after another. They're bringing my brother in to make a decision. My brother's like, I don't know, he's not my son. Uh (laughs) You know, it's just like a series of gaffes going on, you know, if you will. But I do think, back to your earlier point, Catherine, which was, um, you know, the momentum that the movement has, I think in large part it has to do with all these millions of children now who are at risk. Because before it was just grown-up people who, in a lot of people's perspective, had the choice to be gay or straight or whatever that mentality is. But now you have millions and millions of children across America who are not protected. And I think that um, that brings light to a very different conversation than we're used to having because I think all Americans, uh, most Americans, I should say, can unite around children and safety and security and the well-being of children. So I think that when you see that our children aren't protected and aren't being cared for the best way possible, um, that that kind of can 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 add a lot of fuel to a movement galvanize. Yeah, I I, you know I said this. I had a conversation. I've always had many conversations, but uh, oh, actually many years ago, I said just wait till gay couples have children, and then it's going to be all about the children. And then, as you say, everybody's going to rally around the children. And from a pure, actually, the state, I think, which is the state doesn't want to. I mean, I went through a divorce. The state does not, not that I was in this position, but I, the state doesn't want to pay for children either. They want parents to take care of the children. And they, right. so, just from a legal perspective and a, even right. for a financial perspective. So they're going to eventually, you know, be on your side because when you have the children to take care of and to clothe and feed and, and be responsible monetarily, they want parents to do that, you know, so. That's right. Yeah, that's kind of pragmatic, but it's true. Right, no, it is true. Um, there's a similar instance that happened with a couple that we know, um, and that is an interesting way of looking at it. In New York State, they were splitting up, and at that point, they had two sons, but the um, non-biological, one of the women gave birth to the first child, and then the second child was the other partner's biological child, and one hadn't adopted that child yet. But as far as the court was concerned, this is even a few years back now, two or three years going. Um, marriage equality hadn't passed in New York State. There were still the adoption laws and issues. But the court, the family court, decided you are a family unit and we are treating you, regardless of whether you've adopted or not adopted, regardless of whether you're legally married, you were acting as a married family. And they treated that separation, that split, exactly like you said, a divorce situation where you are responsible financially for these children. You, regardless of whether you've legally adopted, you are responsible for this child. You are sharing custody. I think one of the partners is actually trying to take sole custody of the biological child that was hers and trying to split the brothers up. And it was as ugly as it can get. Yeah. And the way the, the court handled it was, we're just going to treat you like every other married couple that's going through a divorce. And that's how you were acting in good faith, and that's how we're going to treat it. So it is interesting in certain cases how that will be handled. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And what, what do you see for the future now, let's say, starting today? I mean, because as I, I keep saying, you know, you're both in the whole, you're so involved in, in the yeah. equality battle. Um, where are we going from here? Well, 
in the most positive case, I think we're going to see state by state, we're going to get equality, gain equality. I think Illinois will be the next one. I think it's going to be really interesting to watch what happens in New Jersey. I'm hoping come June, DOMA disappears. Um, that feels hopeful to me. And Prop 8. And Prop 8. But once DOMA goes, I think that the states will start moving even quicker. I think the movement will really, I mean, it'll, I, I really do. I think it'll just be a momentum. Um, and, you know, we'll see from there. I mean, I just think that it's, it's time. It's definitely time. But it's like with, you know, any movement for equal rights, um, whether it be, you know, women's equality or African-American equality, you can't keep your eye off the ball because it's still, it's, you know, it takes a long time to get to an equal playing ground, but it, it, I feel that there are always things that need to be done. Absolutely. I mean, once the laws are passed, that's one thing. There's still from a social standpoint, which I think would be interesting as a social worker. To this day, I mean, there's still racism, there's still sexism. There will still be homophobia that exists in society. We will still be marginalized in a lot of ways. We won't be treated the same. You know, there's still going to be incidences, regardless of whether or not it's legal. The fact that it's not legal in certain cases, that you can fire me because I'm a homosexual in certain states is like... I mean, unfathomable, but it's true. And then so once those laws are passed that you can't, it doesn't mean that somebody still won't fire me because of it. That takes years, you know. Yeah, well, we're talking about attitude change or cultural lag in sociology is the uh, the terminology, right? But you have to change the laws. The laws have to be in place. And once those are in place, it takes many years to change people's attitudes. And there's still going to be people who are, as you say, racist and sexist and, you know, all of that. But um, you have to have, yeah. So it's really important to make, I guess you can never, Sarah or Kristen, I'm not sure who said it, but you can't just lay low once a law is changed in your state or even the federal laws. You have to always, yeah, be aware. That's Um, right. Don't lose. Don't take your eye off the ball, I think is what Sarah said, right? Yeah. Exactly. Um, but it's, yeah. What I find interesting, though, is, and Sarah, I know you can attest to this, too, it's these young kids who are growing up now um, who see absolutely nothing wrong with equality for the LGBT community. Um, that's not to say that there isn't this higher incidence of suicides amongst teenagers, but even like our kids, our four-year-olds, their friends see Sarah and me, and they don't see anything wrong with it. To them, it is some kids have two moms and some have, you know, a mom and a dad or whatever it is. And these are the kids who are coming from straight families who are will be our advocates and who in 10 years are in the schools and who don't see anything wrong with the fact that now they have a gay friend or there's a kid in their class who's gay. It's just going to be a part of their daily life, you know. And it'll be slow in coming, but it's coming. Yeah, but it's coming, it will happen. I want to give you an example of what you're saying. It was, this was many years ago, and my brother's uh, daughter was, I think she was five years old or whatever, and she had a, went to school and was in kindergarten. She told my brother, I have a really good friend in Emma, and I want her to, to, to come and play, and they set up the play date, and anyway, and they're going to pick Emma up, and, and my, my niece, she said, oh, dad, I just have to tell you, you know, I said, he's talking about Emma, and she said, but Emma's really tan. She's got a great hand. So my brother picks her. Well, Emma was African American, but she right. didn't see that, you know. And it was this is many years ago, but right. we're still friends. But it was so funny because Jimmy's thinking, well, 
she, she was it was that that's an example of what you're talking about. A perfect so example, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Right. So, all right, we have just a few minutes left. Actually, just a couple minutes left. So, what do we want to leave the listeners with? Um, your book, first of all, because I love yeah. your book. I just Thank times you. two, two women in love and the happy family they made. I just downloaded it on my uh, iPad Mini. Um, yeah, you can also buy it obviously online, bookstores everywhere. And do you want to mention websites again? Because people, you know, after they've listened to the interview, they sure. do want to know well, where. What What do you suggest for? Uh, well, we have a Facebook page uh, for the book, so it's facebook.com slash times2book. Uh, so you can visit us there and get in touch with us there. Um, and then I play in a rock band called Antigone Rising, so you can go to antigonerising.com, A-N-T-I-G-O-N-E, rising.com. Uh, we're on Facebook as well. And, and we didn't get into Antigone Rising. No, um, <laughs> so... Can we do that in a minute or two just because, okay. yeah, you're on the road now? Um, yeah. We have a new record coming out. We're an all-female rock band, um, and uh, we just have a, we have a new record coming out in the next month or so, but our first the first single from the record is out called That Was the Whiskey. It's on iTunes. And uh, we did, we've been playing a lot of pride festivals. The band is uh, predominantly gay. We're all gay, actually, in the band. So that's not really our agenda, but we just happen to all be gay. So we do get to play a lot of pride festivals, and with all that's going on with marriage equality and, and the movement, we're asked to, you know, participate in rallies and things, and we're more than happy to do so. Our lead singer also lives in the town that Sarah and I live in, as I was saying, with her wife and their son. Their son and our kids are best friends, so they're growing up together. And, uh, you know, it's just a great thing, and we're happy to be, you know, to participate anytime we're asked at festivals and things. And Antigone Rising, as I remember reading about it, you, you've opened for, for like, Aerosmith. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. We've toured with Aerosmith and the Rolling Stones, the Allman Brothers. Um, we were signed to Atlantic Records for a little while, and then we put out a record through Starbucks. So we've done some great things, and now we're with on Joan Jett's label. Um, and we just recently were overseas. We were in um, the West Bank in Israel. The United States government invited us over there to do an outreach program, so we toured the West Bank and Israel um, last year. So we've had the opportunity to do some really amazing things and see some amazing things in our career. We have to be really talented because bands are a really tough I mean it's not easy. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's definitely people often do say to me, Oh, what would you advise? you know, and I try my best to not say I advise you stay in school. <laughs> All right. But what would you advise for Thomas and Kate? Because I think music is a great thing to have in your life. I mean, you don't necessarily have to be in a band, but or you know, have it as a profession. But because yeah. um, you know, perhaps one of the kids is going to be talented like you. You never know. Um, you know what? We'll have to see. I think the music industry is sort of in a state of flux, and so I wouldn't strongly recommend uh, the path I took, though. I would love if they wanted to incorporate music. I often look back and think, oh, I would, I would love to be a music therapist, you know, incorporate my college degree. And, and I majored in psychology and education. And uh, so and that actually is something I think about doing even now. Um, so if they wanted to sort of blend a creative, you know, uh, career with something that is a little more probably... <laughs> Conventional that you can count on for yeah getting, yeah well, music exactly. therapy is a really interesting it therapy is. I think and so yeah. you know but I haven't I done it but I think they want to do 
Yeah. I want them to do whatever they want. Well, they're still young. Yeah. And they've got two great mothers. Um, um, we will have to follow you guys and, you know, have you on the show again. It was really great talking to you. Um, you too, Thank Catherine. you so much. Yeah, thanks yeah. for having us. It was great. Great show that you have. Good. All right. Keep up the good work, and, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you. And you too. Thank you. you. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. Yeah. Bye. We've been talking to um, Sarah uh, Ellis Henderson and Kristen Ellis Henderson. Uh, Sarah was is the executive vice president of Real Simple Magazine, and uh, Kristen, as we were just talking about at the end of the show, is the founding member of the all-female band Antigone Rising. And both of them co-authored Times Two, Two Women in Love, and The Happy Family They Made. I uh, hope you enjoyed the show today. Have a, a great week, and we'll see you next Wednesday. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of The Catherine Zox Show. You can listen live every Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America channel. Want to know more about Catherine? Visit her website at www.catherinezox.com. Be sure to join us next week for more interviews and great conversations with Catherine Zox. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff, and management.